Well, today is a special day. Uh, does anybody know what today is on Pentecost? You do know what today is. Bunch of Pentecostal people know about Pentecost Sunday. Uh, if you're not familiar with what that is, um, it's the day where we honor and celebrate uh, what the Lord did to us in, in the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. And uh, I think about this often, and I do not understand. I do not understand how people in the world live without the love of Jesus, nor do I understand how people in the church live without the power and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And this is what we turn our attention to on a day like this, Pentecost Sunday. And uh, we were talking about it earlier. I said, you know, it's Pentecost Sunday. Sarah said, is that a holiday? <laughs> it's like, what? You know, I mean, it's not Christmas. You know, it's not Easter. You don't get a day off tomorrow. Uh, not a lot of people barbecue in honor of Pentecost Sunday. Uh, if you do take the day off work, you do have to stay home and pray in tongues all day. So that's, that's up to you. You know, I say all that because even though we don't, we don't treat it quite like Christmas or quite like resurrection or Easter, I got to think to myself, where in the world would we be without Pentecost Sunday, without the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And we read about it in Acts chapter two. And uh, if anybody's wondering, we are an Acts chapter two kind of church, just so there's no confusion about that. What I mean by that is here in Acts chapter two, verse one, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all. Did you catch that? They were all, not a select few, not those whom God had predestined, not those whom God in his sovereignty had chosen. No, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled. I said they were all filled. I remember a couple of years ago, um, I was sitting at the piano and, and most of you know this about us. Sarah is the music in our house. I used to play guitar. I was a part of bands. I was a part of worship teams and stuff years and years ago and even had written songs and recorded albums in church and things like that when I served on staff with my parents in their church. But man, when, when I met Sarah and, and I don't know if I've ever told you the story, I think I probably have, but the, the week that I met her, I went to Branson, Missouri specifically to meet her. Now there was a conference going on, so I kind of dressed it up. Like I just feel really led to go to this conference, but I knew there was this girl there and I was going to meet her. And I had found out, long story short, I'd found out about her. She was a singer, a songwriter, worship leader. And so uh, that week, a couple of days after we first met, I was in her home and her family had a piano there in the living room. And I was like, I heard you write songs. I'd love to hear one. She's like, okay, kind of reluctant. She sat down and played this song, this song that she had written called Faithful. Years later, she recorded it. It's on one of her records. But as she sat there and played it, I just 
I mean, nearly wept. It's just so anointed. It's so wonderful. I'm just sitting there listening to it. She gets to the end and I look at her and I say, please tell me we have a chance. <laughs> and you know what she said to me? And this is a direct quote. <laughs> end quote. Nothing else. I, had, I got nothing else from her. But I, I just fell in love, not just with her, but the music that the Lord had given her is beautiful. All that to say, occasionally I will still go sit down at the piano or pick up a guitar and try to do something. I get a thought, I get a, get a, a lyric or something like that. I don't sing, I won't sing. You can thank me for that. But I, I was hanging out here in Acts chapter two and I started messing around with these, this little melody and this chorus based on these words here. And, and man, I, I got to where I really liked it. And the Lord had kind of given me these words. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they waited and it's coming to fill this house again. Oh, I liked it. I liked it and I got to sing in it and I got to play in it. And it kind of had this six, eight rhythm to it. If you don't know what that is, it's kind of one, two, three, four, five. So it's kind of a swing like that. And I called her over and I was like, baby, you got to come hear this. Come listen to this. And I, I started singing it and I started, and it was kind of the first time I'd sung it out loud. And I realized as I'm singing it, it, it sounds like this old saloon <laughs> song, literally because Sarah looks at me and she's like, well, that's great. Is it a drinking song? And I was like, you're right. It sounds like a drinking song. And it almost came out as like this. Maybe you've heard me tell this before, but it almost came out like this, this song you would hear like in a Scottish pub where all these old retired sea captains had got around to drink. And it was like, there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, it did. And I filled the house where they waited. She's like, is it a drinking song? And I kind of digging. And we went to work a few days later and we're standing around with our staff. We're having staff devotions like, guys, I wrote a drinking song. I, I didn't mean to write a drinking song. And I'm telling them, but air came a sound from heaven. And, and Lauren on our staff, she said, well, you know, they were drinking that day. You remember how all these guys came stumbling drunk out of the upper room and everybody thought they're drunk and they're like, oh, they're not drunk like you suppose. And she said, you know, they were drinking that day. I was like, they were drinking that day. I did write a drinking song. I got excited about it again. Filled with the Holy Ghost. And how many of them were filled with the Holy Spirit? All of them. How many of us should be filled with the Holy Spirit? All of us. And I do not understand, like I said, how the world lives without the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus. And I do not understand how or why anybody in the church would choose to live without the comfort and the power of the Holy Ghost. G, uh, the, Jesus is God's gift to the world and the Holy Spirit is Jesus' gift to the church. Why on earth would we live without that kind of help? Now, last week, you and I began talking about something in here. We we're talking about being hidden in plain sight. This is in light of some of the things that have gone on in our nation here recently and, and have been going on for years. 
things, destruction taking place, violence happening in places all around us. And I got to meditating over the last couple of weeks on, on God's gift of protection. And we talked last week, looking in the book of Psalms, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you and we'll put this on the screen. The Bible says in Psalm chapter four, verse eight, he said, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. The good news translation says it like this. When I lie down, I go to sleep in peace. You alone, O Lord, keep me perfectly safe. I like that, perfectly safe. God has made a promise to us, to his people, and it is a promise of perfect protection. Now, if you've been hanging out with us over the last several months, then you're beginning to get an, a better understanding of what the Bible means when it uses that word perfect. It's talking about complete, total. So when the Lord says he offers us perfect protection, it is complete protection, protection in every area of our lives. And the Bible also says in the book of Psalms, chapter 138, verse seven, he said, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies. Your right hand will save me. The Lord, listen, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Again, the Good News Translation, he says, when I'm surrounded by troubles, you keep me safe. Then he goes on to say, complete the work which you have begun. So this is what he means when he says the Lord perfects what concerns me. That means he completes. He completes the work that he's begun in my life. We talk about this. We pray this all the time. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the one who completes, who perfects the work that you've begun in us. And this is what the psalmist is saying. But I want you to notice where, the, where that verse started and where it ended. What it started with is being in the midst of trouble, being surrounded by trouble. But what it ended with was being completed and perfected, being kept perfectly safe. In other words, if God is going to complete and perfect the work that it began in you, he's going to have to protect you in this crazy world that we're living in. He's going to have to keep us safe. He's going to have to put a shield of protection all the way around us. We are going to have to keep from being cut short. We're going to have to keep from checking out early. If he's going to complete and perfect the work that it began, that means he's got to protect us from start to finish. Amen. Now, the Bible says in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 3, again, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this in verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, he said, in the last days, perilous times will come. Do you hear the confidence and the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the resoluteness in his voice. You need to know this. Paul, writing by the Spirit of God, to this young pastor said, there's something you need to know. And he's writing to us as well saying, you, you need to know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Do you think it's possible we're living in the last days? Perilous is a word that means dangerous. 
It's a word that means hard to take, hard to handle, or hard to bear. The word literally means savage. Am I describing the days that you and I are living in right now? Even in our so-called civilized society, here we are in a first world country. We're not even talking about places around the world that still live in, in abject poverty. We're not talking about places around the world that lack technology, that lack advancement. I'm talking about right here where you and I are right now. Does this describe the kind of times that we are living in hard to take? Have you ever watched something take place on the news or in the world around you and just found it hard to take? hard to bear. Why? Because they're savage times, dangerous times. This word perilous has, to, has the idea of reducing strength, draining people of their strength. It has to do with um, violence. And he said, these are the times that will characterize the last days. And study some of the language and you'll find out he's not just talking about the last days. He's actually talking about the last of the last days, the end of the end. He said, perilous times will come. But he goes on in this verse to tell you why they will come. And this is important because a lot of people, and when I say people, I'm talking about church people, are confused as to why we're living in the world we're living in. They're confused as to why these kinds of things are taking place around us. And the big question that people are asking is why God, or if there is a God, you hear this one a lot. Why did God allow you heard that one? Why did God, if, if he's a God of love, why did he allow this? Well, I just don't understand how a God who is love could do this or allow this. And people have it in their head that the days we're living in are perilous and somehow it's his fault. We want to know what the Bible says about it. Put that back up there for us. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. Look at it again. Know this, he said, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Keep going. For men will be. Do you notice it didn't say anything about God or his sovereignty or his will or his mysterious plan? Didn't say anything about that. Why will perilous times come in the last days? Because of men. Because, he said, men will be lovers of themselves. This is a big reason that the times we're living in are as perilous as they are. Because men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. He said disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. It goes on to say unloving. It goes on to say lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is the reason the times we're living in are violent. They're dangerous. They're perilous. They're hard to bear. They're hard to take. Why? Because God, no, because people, because people. And notice how many times it had to do with twisted love. Lovers of money, lovers of themselves, unloving, unforgiving. That's just a lack of love. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
You want to know why the world we're living in is such a dangerous place? Because people don't know how much God loves them. They don't know the love. They don't believe the love. This is why the times are perilous. This is why the times are violent. But look, we're doing everything we can. Why do you think I'm standing here right now <laughs> telling you all about the love of God? We're doing everything we know to do, everything God's made us responsible to do to change that. But um, I don't exactly have access to 7 billion people. Do you? No. So what do we do? We take authority in the realm that we've been given authority in and authority over. This is why the Psalm that we read last week, Psalm 91, that great Psalm of protection says a thousand can fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near me. Why? Because this is where I have authority. I do not have authority over the thousands to my side and the 10,000s to my right hand. But when it comes to me, my family, my church, my city, where my kids go to school. Oh, you better be listening to me now. Where my kids go to school, I don't have authority in every school in all the nation. But the moment my kid steps foot in there, you better believe me and you better bless God that I say every single day in the name of Jesus, angels are given charge over this place. Are you hearing me? It can happen at my side and at my right hand, but where I have authority, it's not coming near me. It's not coming near me. How do we live hiding in plain sight? How do we live in God's perfect protection? Because escaping to a desert island is just not an option. Not for me, and I don't think for many of you either. And what fun is that anyway? You think there's some geographical location that you can find where nothing bad can happen to you? Ha! It doesn't exist. So we're not trying to escape a place. We're not trying to find that utopian paradise where, where nothing bad could ever happen. No, we've got an assignment in this rotten place we live in, in this, in this place called earth, this curse filled place. Everybody's talking about the sweet by and by. Well, my grandfather used to say, what about the rotten here and now? We've got an assignment here. We've got a God given assignment in this place. We're not trying to escape but we're going to have to find out how to live in this life, in this world, hiding in plain sight, living in God's perfect protection. And last week we talked about that. The first step to this is knowing what to do when fear comes. Fear, like we said last week, is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Of course, we know that feelings and emotions come with it, but at its heart, it is a spirit. And God has not given us the spirit of fear, but what has he given us? Help me church power, love, and a sound mind. And if the spirit of fear is something or is not something that God has given us, what should we be doing with it? Accepting it, managing it, coping with it. No, resisting it, mastering it, conquering it. 
This is what we do with the spirit of fear because fear, because fear is a spirit, because fear is a magnet. It actually draws to you the thing that you're afraid of. That's what Job said. The thing that I have greatly feared has come upon me. And that was what was driving this whole COVID-19 thing. You remember that? Anybody can I see the hands of those that remember? That's what was driving this whole thing. The spirit of fear that gripped this world from the top to the bottom. And you saw people absolutely lose their minds over it. I was thinking back the other day, uh, we had gone to a conference in, in Florida and we were coming home and we we're flying a commercial airliner and we sat down on the plane and they had the coldest, most frigid air blowing on that plane. And it was freezing in there. And every one of us, all four of us were fine when we sat down, but it was so cold in there. I think Sarah started sneezing a little bit. She sneezed a couple of times and <laughs> this lady in the row behind her who was double masked looked over at me. She caught my eye and she pointed at Sarah and she goes, she's scaring me. And I just looked back and I was like, don't be afraid. It's okay. And she called a flight attendant over, asked to be moved to another seat, totally gripped totally gripped by the spirit of fear. <laughs> and that's what was behind that thing, pushing that, that thing all over the world, that fear, that fear, that fear. And you notice what happened. It acted like a magnet and it drew to people the very thing they were afraid of. Fear is a spirit. Fear is a magnet and fear is a prison. Fear is a prison that keeps people in bondage. And we looked at scripture that talked about how people were all their lifetime subject to bondage because of the fear of death, totally afraid. And what he was referring to was people that were afraid of being condemned to death because of sin, literally afraid of God because they had grown up generation after generation after generation under this law and the law told them the wages of that sin was death. And so they were afraid. They were afraid of God. But that's, that's the book of Hebrews that tells you, hey, we're free. We don't have to live our lives subject to bondage through the fear of death. It's the same book of Hebrews that says, come boldly to the throne of grace. And you got to remember, the book of Hebrews is a letter written to, guess who? <laughs> Hebrews. Jewish people that grew up under that, that law mentality generation after generation after generation. And now he's telling those people, come boldly to the throne. These are people who, who had, a, had a temple, had a tabernacle, and you don't go in there. You go all the way back to the days of Moses and the priests and all that, and we send one guy in there. It's like the whole nation said, go talk to God for us. I ain't going in there. Why? Because if you go in there with any sin on you whatsoever, you drop dead, man. And I think the tradition, I don't know if this is in the scripture anywhere or not, but what was it that they would tie a rope, right, around that priest? Why? Because if you're not back in five minutes, I'm not going in to get you. We are going to drag your dead self out of there, but I ain't going in. And now he's writing to people saying, come boldly to the throne. If I'm a Hebrew person hearing that for the first time, my thought is, you go boldly. Let's see what happens to you. But he's like, no, you don't understand. There's a new and living way. There's, there's a way that's been made for us by the blood of Jesus. 
And we don't have to trust the, the blood of the bulls and goats, animals anymore. The, the blood of Jesus has made a new and living way for every one of us. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Well, what is that? If you're coming boldly, then evidently you got no fear. You have no fear of God or what's waiting for you at the throne. You're not, you're not afraid that it's the throne of judgment. You're not afraid that you're going to find the throne of condemnation. You're bold because this is the throne of grace. And this is where I get help. This is where I get mercy. Glory to God. So fear is not something for you and I to tolerate. It's not something for you and I to manage. And it's not something for you and I to accept or to cope with. Fear is a spirit that must be resisted. And it is something for you and I to conquer in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is the first way we live hiding in plain sight. We resist the fear. I want to go on in this today. And this has everything to do with what we talked about a few minutes ago. This being Pentecost Sunday. Go to the book of Romans with me. Romans chapter 8. If we are going to be kept safe. When a thousand are fallen at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, then we're going to have to have some kind of advantage that the rest of this world doesn't. We're going to have to have something that they don't have. We need information they don't have. And you see this here in the book of Romans chapter eight. We're going to begin reading in verse one and we're going to look at several verses here, but I want you to keep your eye out for something. Two words. I want you to keep your eye out for the words spirit and the word flesh. So what words are you looking for? Spirit and flesh. Now, every time as we read these through these verses, when you see either the word spirit or the word flesh, I want you to say it out loud as I read. So let's start here in verse one, Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the, but according to the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the, but the, the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit 
of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the, to live according to the, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now look at verse 15 and see what this is so closely connected to. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You've got flesh, you've got spirit. And in these 15, 16 verses, how many times did you see these two words over and over and over again? The flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. He's talking about the difference between living by the flesh and living by the spirit. He gets to verse 14 and he sums it up like this. He says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Being led by the spirit is a defining characteristic of a child of God. Being led by the spirit that has to do with the decisions that you make in life, the directions that you take, the moves that you make. You can be led everywhere you go in everything you do by the spirit. Now, how many of you know this is not happening all over the world right now? Most much of the rest of the world is not even aware of the spirit not aware of the spirit realm. The unborn again person lives completely in the flesh. That means they live completely in this outward physical realm. And every decision they make is based strictly on what they see. It's based on what they feel. It's based on nothing but outward circumstance. And this is how the vast majority of the world lives life. The moves they make, the directions they take in life are based strictly on what they see. And this is how you identify the difference between flesh and spirit. When you think or when you see this word flesh, you need to think outward. When you see the word spirit, you need to think inward. And that's the difference. Being led by the flesh, living in and by the flesh is just simply living by what you see, by what you feel. And every decision is made based on something outward. Now, when it comes to the world living like that, I get it. What else are they going to do? Huh? You don't even believe, many of them don't even believe there's a God, much less a Holy Spirit that can fill you up, much less one that will lead you in your directions and that a God you can actually talk to and who will talk back to you, one you can ask direction for and he'll give it to you. 
a Holy Spirit that will lead you and guide you and direct you and correct you. They're not aware of any of this. So what else do they have to make decisions based on? Nothing. It's all flesh. And when it comes to an unbelieving world living like that, living like that, I get it. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to born again people, living life, making decisions based on flesh stuff, I'm sorry, I don't get it. Because we've been given, for lack of a better word, an unfair advantage over the rest of this world. We do not have to live our lives based strictly on what we see, based only on what we feel. We've got something else. We've got someone else on the inside. We don't have to live just based on what's on the outside. We've got something going on on the inside. And if we're going to live in this crazy messed up world with some crazy messed up people in it, and we're going to live hiding in plain sight, then we're going to have to live based on some inside information. There's someone in us who can tell us something about the future that the rest of this world doesn't know. You can wake up every single day and know something about the way the day's going to go that the rest of this unbelieving world doesn't know because you've got inside information. Information that comes not from the outside. Information that you don't get watching Fox News, CNN. Information you don't get scrolling through social media. Information that comes from the inside of you. Where the Spirit of God lives big on the inside of you. So unbelieving world, best of luck. Born again, Spirit-filled believer, you got a higher way of living. You got a better way of living. You've got greater information. Greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. And that's what this entire passage is all about. Now, if you don't think this is serious, then go back and listen to what he said. He said in verse 6, Romans 8, 6, to be carnally, that just means flesh, to be flesh-minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Okay, does it get more plain? Does it get more plain than that? If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In case you're wondering if it really makes that much difference if you just live by the flesh or live by the spirit, you want to know what kind of difference it is? Life and death. It's literally a life and death decision. When you are deciding the major direction for your life or the daily direction for your life, flesh leads to death. Spirit leads to life. He said in verse 15, I read this to you, but you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. One of the most important things in this life, in the life of the believer, is to learn how to be led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. And where is the Spirit? Out here somewhere? No, inside. Inside information. Learning to be led by the Spirit means you refuse to be led by anything else. And there's a lot of things that I think even church people 
make decisions based on and assume it's God. They get an offer for a job and well, you know, it's a lot more money. That must be God. It's more money. It must be God. Being led by money is not being led by the spirit. Yes, but it's a really wonderful opportunity. And I just pray all the time, God, if this is you, open the door. If it's not, close it. Being led by that is not being led by the Spirit. You're asking God to do something outwardly, physically, naturally, visibly. When he's wanting to lead you based on the inside, not based on anything outside. And a lot of people, oh, the door's open. It must be God. Huh. Just because a door is open does not mean it's God. And just because a door is closed doesn't mean it's not him. So you're going to have to have information that everybody else doesn't have. An open door. Well, if you make a decision based on an open door, what's the difference between you and Joe Sinner? Who doesn't even believe there is a God? That's how he makes his decisions. Open door. Looks good. More money. But how many believers... Hmm? have been offered more money. And so they left a church family. They left a place where the Lord had assigned them, had planted them. Oh, it must be. It's got to be him because of all these natural things, of all these physical outward things. Mm -mm. The rest of this world lives and makes decisions and goes places and puts their children in a school here or takes a job there based on reasoning, Right? Well, they've done the research. They've looked and in this community, this place, this community is one of the safest in the nation. How do you know that? Well, you know, Google. Oh, Google told you. So people are living Google-led. Am I telling the truth? Are people living lives Google-led? Are people buying cars Google-led? Are people buying homes? Google it. They are. It's happening all the time. Again, rest of this world, I get it. That's all you got. Church, we got something else. We've got inside information. We've got information the rest of this world doesn't have. And to, be, and to just make a decision based on research that you did, based on statistics, demographics, and to rule out the leadership of the Holy Spirit to get yourself in trouble. I said, we can really get ourselves in trouble being led by something other than the spirit of God in us. In second Corinthians chapter four, turn there with me. I love this whole chapter when you read it and we've talked about it in here before, but the word you see come up over and over and over again is this little word, we, W-E, we. And he's talking about the difference between us, just like we are today, between us and the rest of this world. And he says things in here like, uh, we, in verse seven, have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We are per perplexed, not despair. We are persecuted, not forsaken. He says, we um, have this, verse 13, the same spirit of faith. We believe, therefore we speak. This is describing 
a person of faith, living by faith in the difference between them and the rest of this world. But he gets down into verse 16 and he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now that right there is different from the rest of this world. We as people of faith, he goes on in chapter five to say, we walk by faith and not by sight. Everybody else who's walking by sight, the result is they lose heart. They're given up. They're quitting, but we do not lose heart. He said, even though, listen, our outward man is perishing. Now that right now, that right there is enough to depress most people. That is enough to make most people lose heart completely. What? The outward man is perishing. That's why it is a multi, multi, billion dollar industry. What? The diet industry, the exercise industry, the, the plastic surgery, the nipping this and tucking that industry. Why? People are endeavoring to preserve the outward man. And, and I'm not knocking any of it. Do what you want to do. As long as you know this outward man, no matter what you do to it, it's on its way out like as we speak. It's perishing. The outward man, what's on the outside is perishing. And he says, we, here's what's different about us and the rest of this world. We don't lose heart because of that. We're not messed up. We're not depressed just because we look in the mirror and the guy looking back is not the same 20 year old that used to be looking back. We don't get depressed because the lady in the mirror doesn't look like the one that was there. It seems like just a few minutes ago. We're not depressed over the outward man. That's not us. Why? How can you keep from being depressed over the outward man? The inward man is being renewed day by day. See, there again, the rest of this world doesn't even know there's an inward man. We do. And this is where we get our information. From the outward man? No, the inward man. Man, I, I really like this. I, I have wanted to do this for years now to develop these two superhero characters for our children's ministry. You've got the adventures of outward man and inward man. And these, these little adventures that they go on together. And you can imagine outward man uh, never gets it right. But inward man is always there. He's always strong. He always knows what to do. Outward man and inward man. We've all got both. We're not depressed over the outward man because we're excited about the inward man. He's being renewed day by day. Verse 17, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What are you looking at? Because this world that is not filled with the Holy Ghost doesn't celebrate Pentecost Sunday. All they have to look at is what's on the outside. But church, you and I got something else. We, he said, in this house of faith, those who walk by faith and not by sight, we do not look. That means we do not, we do not focus on what's on the outside. I don't look to the outside to help me make my decision. I don't look to the outside to decide for me where my kids go to school. I don't look to the outside to, to help me decide where I get a job. I don't look to the outside. Where am I supposed to be looking? Inside. We're supposed to be looking inside at the things which are not seen. 
And we know this because this is where God looks. He does not look on the outward appearance. He does not see the way man sees. He looks on the heart. He looks to what's unseen. Well, if God is looking to the unseen, where should we be looking? Exactly where he's looking, to the unseen. This is how we hide ourselves in plain sight. We, We don't look to the outside to tell us where the safest place is. We get led by the Spirit. We look for inside information to the unseen. Now, I'm going to show this to you in scripture, then I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about how we've seen this take place in our life. In Acts chapter 27, I want to show you what it looks like to live based on inside information and what it looks like to ignore it. Acts chapter 27. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to read this whole account to you here. It's several verses. You're probably familiar with it, but listen to it. Listen again. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. It says, When it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners, so Paul's a prisoner at this point, to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramantium, we put to sea, meaning to sail a- along the coast of Asia. Um, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica was with us. Verse three, the next day we landed at Sidon. Julius treated Paul kindly, gave him liberty to go to his friends, receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So there was something working against them. When we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly, somebody say slowly. We had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off uh, Salmone. Sorry, I should have practiced all these words. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near near the city of Lacie. Verse 9, now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I had a vision. Is that what he said? Men, I've got a word from God. Thus saith the Lord. No, what do he say? Men, I perceive. I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. What is that? That's inside information. But I want you to notice the word he used is a perception. A perception is not a vision in the night. It's not a voice out of heaven. It's not some big spectacular display. What is a perception? If you look it up, it literally just means this is what I see. But I don't see it outwardly. I see it inwardly. And so much of the time, the leading of the Holy Spirit 
comes to us not in some big display, not with fireworks in the night, not with a big booming voice, not with a prophet standing at the foot of your bed saying, thus saith the Lord, don't take that job. It's a perception. It's a knowing on the inside. Anybody ever said this before? I knew I shouldn't have done that. I knew I should not have gone there. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. How? How'd you know that? It's a perception on the inside. What people don't realize is that they're getting inside information and they're ignoring it. They're overriding it. And it's that that's putting them in a place of danger. It's putting them where they're at risk. Did you hear what Paul said? I perceive this isn't going to go well, that there's going to be loss. Loss of the ship. Our lives are at danger. But listen to what happened. Verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. What's he doing? Overriding inside information. Ignoring inside information. Now we need to be quick in our lives to identify, why would I do that? It seems foolish, right? I mean, if I've got this thing on the inside telling me don't go, why would I go ahead and go? Well, remember what the verses before it said? They were slow sailing, They'd been sailing with much difficulty. What's the problem here? Behind schedule. They're already behind schedule. Do you know how many people are no longer with us in this life? Because they pushed it, motivated by a schedule. They were already so behind. I know it took forever to get here and we've got so much more to go. You know what? I'll be fine just driving through the night. I can stay awake. Give me a cup of coffee. I'll be fine. How many people were pressured by a ticking clock? That's being clock led and not spirit led. That's being schedule led, calendar led. Gotta get there, itis. Anybody ever had a case of that? Yeah. Pressure. Instead of slowing down and listening to inside information. And this centurion says he was more persuaded by the helmsman. This is somebody who sails for a living, right? This is somebody who's experienced. This is somebody who's got, you know, he's got some knowledge. He was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship. So the centurion's like, hey guys, listen, this preacher says he's got a perception, whatever that means, that this isn't going to go well. What do you think? Oh, you mean, We'll be fine. I've sailed this a hundred times. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. That's being experience led, not spirit led. I've done it before so I can do it again. Ignoring inside information. Verse 12, because the harbor was not suitable to winter in. Why are we leaving? It's not a nice place. I don't want to spend the winter here. There's a saying in aviation. I learned this as I was going through flight school. It's better to be on the ground wishing you were in the air. 
than in the air, wishing you were on the ground. And those are words to live by. When you're flying airplanes, those are words to live by. How many pilots? I'm thinking of ones, specific ones I've read about, heard about, ones that were major uh, media news stories. Had to get there, had to get there, had to get there. How much better it would be to winter in a place that, eh, is it pretty? Not really. Are you alive? Yeah. But because it wasn't a nice place, and listen to this, because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail. That's being majority led. Well, the majority can't be wrong. Ha, 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 ha. The majority said set sail, so we set sail. That's outside information. Now, do you know how the rest of the story goes? Do you know how this plays out? Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire. See, it's fine. Look, it's a nice day. It's beautiful. We're get, we got the wind we want. Now, whether you're talking about sailing ships, you know, 2000 years ago or flying an airplane today, what you don't do is base your trip based on how the weather is where you are right now. Huh? You need to know about what's the weather like on the way. What's the weather like where we're going? There are, there are flights. You could go to an airport. It's probably happening right now somewhere where it's a beautiful day at that airport, but that flight gets grounded. It gets canceled. Why? Not because it's pretty there, because it's rough where they're going. And in the little flying experience I have, you know, they teach you how to look at the weather. They teach you how to read a forecast. And one of the things they have you do is call flight safety or you, you, you call the, the um, sorry, I'm losing it right now, but you, 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 you make your flight plan and you check with them and you get the weather report and they give you the en route weather report. They give you the forecasted weather report. They give you the weather at time of uh, the time you're going to touch down at your destination. All of these things are to help you make the best decision. This is a real good picture of what you and I have on the inside of us. This is inside information. Now, everybody's sitting there at the airport going, why is my flight canceled? Oh, look, the sun's shining. It's beautiful. That pilot knows something you don't know. But see, these guys, because the south wind blew softly, what's that mean? We can go. It's fine. Who listens to preachers with perceptions? And you know the rest of the story. Not many days after, a great wind arose called Eurocladon. If the Bible names the wind, <laughs> Hurricane Dawn, you know it's rough. And read the rest for yourself. There was one day, a couple of weeks into this storm, where nobody's eating anything, and now they're throwing stuff overboard. What's happening? Losing it all. This is loss. This is all the stuff uh, that, that helps the ship stay afloat. This is the stuff that we're trading and selling. We're losing all of it. It's going into the sea. This is not like you drop it off and come back and pick it up later. It's gone. And Paul stands in front of him and basically says, told you so. Men and brethren, you should have listened to me. What should they have listened to? Inside information. 
Now, the Lord was merciful. He spared them. That ship got lost, but not one life was lost. But that's the mercy of the Lord. That's the mercy of the Lord. What if they had not sailed? Huh? What if they had stayed in that harbor? There probably would have been people that complained the entire winter. Why are we here? What are we still doing here? This is ridiculous. It's fine. South wind's blowing. It's a beautiful day. Let's go. But if they had listened to inside information, they'd be alive. They wouldn't have gone through shipwreck. They wouldn't have washed up on an island and nearly lost their lives. See, this is what always happens. When you live based on information, you have no idea how many disasters you avoid. But how many of you would rather live not knowing the disasters you avoided than to go through the disaster? I know this has happened for me, for us, time and time again in our lives. I remember being a teenager, probably 15 years old. And when I was like, I don't know, fourth, fifth grade, my grandfather had bought me a dirt bike. And I, and I grew up riding this dirt bike and, and I'd gotten where I was good at it. And, and the ministry there in Fort Worth, they had a bunch of land and I would go out and just ride this dirt bike all over this land. And, and a buddy of mine wanted to go ride. And we, had, we actually had two bikes and I was going to ride the bigger one. He was going to ride the smaller one. I remember standing outside of a Chinese food restaurant in the little town where we lived, talking to my dad, going, Dad, can I go ride dirt bikes? Me and my buddy want to go ride dirt bikes. And I remember the look on my dad's face. And he was like, mm. and I stood there like any good teenager. Please, 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 dad, we want to go. Please, please let us go. We'll be safe. I promise we'll be safe. Jeremy, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know if I feel right about you guys. Dad, I got a helmet. I can be safe. I promise we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. And he says, all right, fine. Y'all go ahead. Thanks, dad. All right. Get out there, load up on the bikes, take off. Not three minutes in. My buddy's in front of me on his bike. He hits some loose dirt. He <laughs> swerves towards me. I swerve to miss him, go flying off the bike, break my arm. Three minutes in. And my dad told me later, he had to repent for it. He said, I had such a check about you going, but I'll let you talk me into it. He had inside information as a parent that his teenage son didn't have inside information. And it wasn't like the Holy Ghost said, George, don't let him go three minutes into the ride. He's going to break his arm. It was just a perception. It was just something's not right about this, but because of pressure. Huh? Anybody ever wanted to be the cool dad? Because of pressure, please, 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 oh, please, please, please. How many of you would rather have your teenager mad at you for an afternoon than to be in a doctor's office later that day? Mad because they didn't get to go do what they wanted, but you listened to inside information. A few years after that, I remember uh, serving on staff uh, in the church there in Fort Worth, and, and I helped in the youth ministry. And the youth pastor I served at the time was hosting a big lock-in for all the kids in the youth group. We had 120, 150 kids there. And I don't know if you've ever been to one of those things. They're horrible. <laughs> Up all night. It's miserable. And I was there serving. And I think my shift had ended. And it was sometime in the middle of the night. And I was going to go home. 
I remember walking out of the youth room into the parking lot. And as I reached for the door handle of my little 1995 Honda Accord and I opened it up, I heard something on the inside. Not a, not a big booming voice. The sky was not filled with singing angels. It was something on the inside. And these are the words I heard. Don't listen to secular music tonight on the way home. It'll be the difference between life and death. And what was funny was I fully intended to get in that car and crank up that radio to keep me up for the next 15 minutes on the way home. It's the middle of the night. I'm tired. I'm going to try to stay awake. And that's what I heard. I'm like, okay. So I got in the car. I dug around in my CDs looking for anything Christian and loud. <laughs> and I found something. It wasn't even something I listened to a lot, but I found it and I put it on take off down the road to go home between the church and our house was a long straightaway that had these hills up and down. And at one point I'm coming up over one of these hills and there's a car passing me in the other lane. And then there's a car passing him in my lane. And to this day, I don't know what happened. All I know is a moment later, I'm on the shoulder. Fine. Untouched. No accident. That car passed me coming over the hill in the middle of the night in my lane. I don't know if I swerved or what, but I sat there with my heart racing, my heart pounding, and my ears tuned into this song that was playing on my CD player. And the words that the guy was saying was, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I've got someone to watch over me. Now he's screaming it, <laughs> but that's what he was saying. Just after Sarah and I had gotten married, just months, we were going to go minister that night. We were youth pastors at my parents' church and she was leading worship and I was getting ready to preach that night and I was going to start a series in the youth ministry about hearing the voice of God. I was going to teach the teenagers, this is how you hear God's voice. And I studied and I prayed all day and I couldn't get settled on what I was supposed to say that night. I was really wrestling with it and I didn't, didn't know where to start with it. I knew I was supposed to talk about that, but what am I supposed to say, Lord? And as the time came for her to leave, she was going to go an hour or two before me. She's got to do rehearsal, get the band ready and all that. She's getting ready to go. She's going to jump in her car and leave. I keep getting this thing on the inside. Don't let Sarah drive tonight. Again, this did not come from any prophet. This did not come from a preacher. This came from my own insides. Not something I heard here, but on the inside. Don't let Sarah drive tonight. I'm thinking, man, if I drive her, I'm going to have to drive her out there. It's 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back. Then I got to get ready and just turn right back around and go, I'm, I don't have this message. I got to preach about hearing the voice of God. What am I going to say about hearing the voice of God? I got to tell them about hearing the voice of God. I don't have time to drive her. And as she's in her car, pulling out of the driveway, I'm standing there waving, closing the garage door. And I hear this again. Don't let Sarah drive tonight. Don't let Sarah drive tonight. Hmm. Wonder what that's about. 10 minutes later, I get a phone call. She's been in an accident. And what happened? She was nearly at that exact same place that I told you about just a moment ago where I avoided that accident. She's driving down that straightaway. And we have in Texas what are called um, rednecks. I don't know if you have those here. This guy in his truck pulls out in front of her end of the road and he's towing a truck behind him with this big, long yellow strap. 
and he thinks he can get out in time to get in front of her, she goes right through that strap. A second earlier would have hit the first truck. A second later would have hit the second one. She went right through that strap. Did a little bit of damage on the front of her car. They had to call the police. I came out and I went. She drove a little VW at the time and sitting out in the middle of the road was that VW emblem. I have it to this day and I keep it as a reminder. Don't ignore the inside information. Don't override it. Don't ignore it. The Lord was merciful to me that night. He spared her. But I, what would have happened if I had paid attention to inside information? You want to know what would have happened? Nothing. I'd have been like, why did I do that? Oh, brother, now I got to get home. But how many of you would rather just be safe? Hiding in plain sight. Amen? Oh, thank you, Lord. You know, these stories go on and on in our life. How did we end up where we are? How did we end up in this facility on this property? We did not hear some big booming voice. There was not a, a, a word of the Lord. It was inside information. It was the witness of the spirit on the inside. You've heard us tell the story, but when we came to find out where our church was, we flew into Denver, rented a car and just started driving. Just started heading south all the way, checking our heart, checking our heart, checking our heart. You get south of Denver, Castle Rock. Ooh, this looks like a nice place. There's outlet malls here. <laughs> we could start a church right here. Look at all the restaurants. Is that being spirit led or is that being restaurant led? Outlet shopping led demographic led. Oh, these look like some nice houses. I bet there's some affluent people that live around here. Is that the right leading to start a church? Find out where the rich folk live. That's not what you listen to. So we checked our hearts as we're driving through. Oh, it's a nice place. You got anything? No, not really. Keep going. Keep coming south, coming south. We even looked at a building in Colorado Springs, thought maybe it was it. Okay. Yeah. I could see how this would work. It's got this space. It's got that. Maybe. All right. Checked it out. Came back, even looked at it again, checking our hearts, listening, just listening, just waiting. And the further we got with it, it's like, you know what? Something's not quite right. Something's not quite right. So we kind of walked away from that, sat down at our, in our living room in Texas, just to pray over it again. Lord, where is it? What is it? I'm Scrolling through, I find this piece of property for sale in the mountains. It's got a 150 acres, but man, it's a rough place and there's no paved roads and it's rough on the inside. I don't know if this could be it. And I went and showed Sarah and I said, I don't know. It's this building and it's got these cabs. That's it. She says, that's it. That's it. And I thought, that's it. Now, how do we know that? There was nothing outwardly. And believe me, there was nothing outwardly. <laughs> There was not a thing on the outside of this place that said, oh, you should start a church here. There is not one thing going on on the outside of this place. There's not one thing that made real good financial sense about it. There's nothing that made real logistical sense about it. Yeah, here's what you should do. Get outside of town. 
where all the people aren't. So what do you listen to? What do you go with? When the outside doesn't make any sense, it doesn't matter because you've got some information on the inside that not everybody else has. This information will put you in the right place. This information will put you there at the right time. This inside information will put you with the right people. This inside information will put you doing the right thing and this inside information will keep you safe. It'll keep your children safe. Here's what we have to teach our kids to listen to. Listen to your heart. How many times a day do I feel like we tell our kids, listen to your heart. Mommy, can we go out and play? Yeah, listen to your heart. Mommy, can we watch a show? Uh Uh-huh, listen to your heart. Mommy, can we go over here? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, sure, listen to your heart. Listen. If your heart's ever telling you something, don't go there, don't do that, don't be a part of this, listen to that. Listen to it. Listen to it. Don't override it. Don't ignore it. Listen to it. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.